Hey there again, guys. Wow, that was really good. That was, that was awesome. Good morning. Uh, if you don't remember from just a few minutes ago, my name's Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. If you have a Bible that you want to use, go ahead and open, up, open it up to Matthew chapter 28. I would tell you, too, if uh, you don't have a Bible and you want one, we really want to make sure that you have one. The cool thing is you can, you can use the, uh, there's, a, there's an app that you can download on your phone. It's called YouVersion. Um, I'd highly recommend that. There's all kinds of Bible reading plans. But also, we have some Bibles out in the foyer. You can just grab one of those. They're, they're orange. They're on a the table right back there. And that way you can have your own copy, okay? Because we want you to be able to just look at God's Word for yourself. Now, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling a vision series, and that kind of sounds weird, um, but just to give you an idea of what we're talking about, we're, we're talking about what we believe God has called his people to be about and do. So last week we talked a little bit about the vision overall for Bridgewater Church and we talked about what we believe God wants us to do here at Bridgewater Vestal and this week we're going to start looking at some of the values, some of the things that we believe God's word just teaches over and over that are really, really important if you're going to build your life upon Jesus Christ, okay? So this week... Um, I already gave you the, the value that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this idea that everyone has a next, next step. I can't speak, sorry. <laughs> everyone has a next step. Now, um, I, I know I'm fairly new here, and so some of you may not know us super, super well, but my wife and I have three kids, okay? Um, one is 14, and he is probably taller than me by now, which makes me feel super great. I'm shrinking. He's getting taller. It's awesome, okay? Uh, he still cannot beat me in a wrestling match, though, so I've got that. And so far, I can still beat him in a race, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, another is 11, okay? Uh, and then a third is seven, about to be eight. And as my children were growing up... I remember very fondly the days when they were learning to walk. Did any of you, how many of you have children here? Okay, quite a few of you. Uh, do you remember those days? Any of you in the middle of those days right now with children learning to walk? No? Okay, none. I remember those days because those days were like filled with excitement and simultaneously fear and terror, right? I mean, there's the days when they're learning to crawl and you have them on the bed and they figure out how to crawl and roll off of the bed. Not that any of my children ever did that. You remember those days? And then there's the days when they first pull themselves up on a table, you know, and they bonk their heads on the table like a million times. But, but then they, they, they learn to take a step and it's just, it's awesome, right? You know, remember those days? And I wonder, what would happen if in the middle of that, how would I have reacted if one of my children, let's just say Anna, the, the youngest, if Anna had taken a few steps and then just in the middle of all of that decided, nope, I'm done with this walking thing. I've now decided you will carry me everywhere. Now I could see Anna saying that, okay? But that would be a real problem, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd, it'd, be, 
it'd be a real problem. In fact, if she said that and she just wasn't being stubborn, let's say she didn't say that, but she just stopped developing. She just stopped walking. She just stopped having a desire to grow and move. I would begin to think that there was a real problem. I mean, think about it. If you had a child who did that, eventually you would start taking that child to maybe an occupational therapist or, or to a doctor or to someone to figure out what's going on because my child is now two, three, four, five and isn't walking. That's a problem. Because we realize, we realize a couple of things. We realize that healthy things grow and, and mature and they take steps. We realize that, don't, don't we? As my children were learning to walk, yes, there were fears because I realized now we have things like stairs and we have to put up gates and we have to do all kinds of, and there were all kinds of fears, but it would be weird if I wanted my children to stop taking steps, stop maturing. And it would be something that I'd need to address. You see, the same thing is true for us spiritually. The same thing is true that, that there's never a time in your life. I just, I want to get this out there. I, I don't know all of your stories. In fact, I know very few of your stories right now. But the bottom line is, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, whatever you have been through, whatever the background is to your life, the reality is there is still a next step for you. And if we stop taking steps, there's probably an issue going on. Why? Well, because God wants us to mature. God wants us to grow. In fact, I would tell you, this is the, the, the biggest idea that I, I want you to grab onto today. It's this. God is interested in making fully developed, fully mature, fully committed followers of Jesus. And one of the greatest things that hinders other people, people who would say, ah, I'm not a church person or I don't understand this Jesus thing. One of the greatest things that hinders other people from seeing Jesus in our lives is when we stop taking steps, when we sit back and act like, you know what, I'm good. I got this figured out. I don't need to change. And people watch and they see. Bridgewater Church needs to be a place where we are developing fully committed followers of Jesus. And I believe very firmly that it's impossible to become a fully devoted, fully committed follower of Jesus without taking next steps. So what next steps do we take? Well, there's a number of them that we believe here that, that you can take. But I, I want to zero in on what Jesus has to say about the matter, okay? He, he had a lot to say about what his church should really be all about. In fact, one of the things that he left with us right before he ascended back into heaven, okay? This is, this is a big deal. If, if you want to know what, what Christianity, I'm just going to drop this in for a minute, okay? This is free, in case you were wondering, okay? Um, just going to drop this in real quick. We, we believe that Christianity is all about Jesus having come and rescued us and died. He was buried and he paid for our sins, but then he rose again, okay? 
And then he was here for a span of about 40 to 50 days, and then he ascended back to heaven, okay? And before he went back to heaven, he had some instructions for us, and they have a lot to say. Those instructions have a lot to say about what our next steps should be. In fact, let me, let me show you. In Matthew chapter 28, this is right before Jesus ascended back to heaven. It records for us just in three short verses what Jesus had to say. Starting in verse 18, it says this. It says, therefore, or he says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let me give you the background. This is about 50 days after after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he told a number of people who had been following him to go back to Galilee. He told them to meet him on a specific mountain. And when he got there, a number of them still didn't believe. Like, they weren't sure. They were kind of like, this is weird. We were all in with Jesus because we thought he was going to change everything. But then you died, and we don't get it. This is odd. Can you help us understand? And he says, here's the deal. All authority has been given to me. If there's any question as to who's in charge, it's Jesus. So, I'm going to tell you what to do. Here's what you do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he says this, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In these three verses, Jesus gives us some very clear marching orders, okay? And I'm going to back up for just a minute and point out a couple of things. If we can back up to verse 19, let me just show this to you. So the, the, the one, and I'm, I'm going to nerd out for a little bit. Is that okay? I kind of, I'm not really like a, um, I'm not really one of those grammar freaks, but I do like to kind of dig in and try to understand what was originally being, being said. So the only verb in this sentence is make disciples, okay? It looks like go is a verb, but it's actually not. It's a really bad translation, unfortunately, on our behalf. It, it's not actually a verb. The only verb is to make disciples. So what we should be all about is making disciples. But in this, in these verses, he explains how to do it. He says, this should be, this is actually a, a participle, okay? Now that, I don't care if you didn't know that and it doesn't matter. But the whole idea is just like, it's modifying making disciples. It's saying, this is how you make disciples. You make disciples by going you make disciples by baptizing. Then in the next verse, in verse 20, you make disciples by teaching, okay? And what are we teaching? We're teaching to obey. In other words, the whole goal is not just how much you know. The whole goal is how much you obey. Does that make sense? So here's what, here's what Jesus is telling us our lives should be built upon. Our lives should be built upon making disciples by doing a couple of things, by going as you're going, as you're going to work, as you're going to the supermarket, as you're going around your neighborhood, as you're going to parties and gatherings, wherever it is that you do life, you should be about making disciples. So should I. And then we should also be about baptizing. 
helping people go public with their faith. We should also be about teaching, teaching people the ins and outs of God's word and how to obey God's word. And I'm going to add this fourth one in, even though it's, you know, it, it's not really a, a verbal in there, but the idea is teaching to obey. And so what our lives should be built upon is not only just teaching, but our lives should also be built upon obeying. Obeying. Now, I'm going to focus in on one of these today because we realize that in this room, everyone has a next step. And we found across Bridgewater that about 75% of the adults who regularly attend here have been baptized, which means there's about 25% of the regular attenders who haven't. And I just want to take a few minutes and talk about baptism, okay? I'm going to focus in on that for a bit. See, here's the thing. Jesus, in talking about going and baptizing and teaching and obeying, he teaches us that it's very normative for every Christian to be baptized. It's normative. Like, it's, it, it, it's a normal thing. If you have put your faith in Christ, you should be baptized. And as I've talked with people, I have found that there are a couple of reasons that people just don't. We're going to get into that in, in a minute, but I want to ask you a question. What, if anything, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what, if anything, is holding you back from going all in for Jesus? Now, I'm going to focus in on the baptism side, but I would ask this to you because I realize that 75% of the room has probably been, been baptized, okay? So as we talk about this, I hope you'll think about those, those four things, going, baptizing, teaching, and obeying. In those areas, what is keeping you from going all in for Jesus? As I've talked with people specifically about baptism, I've found that there are a couple things that keep people from choosing to be baptized. For some, it's information. It's like, ah, I'm not really sure I understand it. I'm not really sure I have all of my questions answered. Okay. Secondly, I've found for some people that the thing that holds them back is, is just flat-out hesitation. Whether it's, hmm, I'm scared or any number of reasons. So I'm going to walk through a couple of statements that hopefully will shed some light on what baptism is and, and why we should consider doing it, okay? First and foremost, the question or the statement, I don't understand what baptism is and who it is for. This is a matter of information, right? So let me just walk you through what is baptism and, 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 and what is it for? The word baptism is really just a, 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 like a normal word that would have been used in the first century. The, the word is baptizo, but it just means to immerse or to submerge. It's a word that would be used in fishing. Like if, if you were a fisherman then, you would, you, we think of fishing with, you know, with fishing lines and rods and reels. That, that's not what it would have looked like then. They would go out with their nets and they would use stones and use these stones to baptize their nets. It's just a normal word. It carries the idea of something being completely in the water. 
So when we talk about baptism, we're actually talking about publicly saying, man, I don't have everything in life figured out. My life isn't perfect. I, I don't live it perfectly, but I am all in for Jesus. I, I'm immersed. I'm submerged. It's not, I just, it's not I've added Jesus on. It's not I have, here's my life and my job and my family and my finances and my vacation and my retirement. And oh, I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in here. No, that's not it. It's a, I'm taking all of that. Everything about me, my life, my relationships, my marriage, my dating, my, my you know, friendships, my work, my finances. And it's all in with you, Jesus. You're all I've got. And now I'm basing everything on you and banking everything on you. That's, that's what it means. Man, even if you're here today and you, you've been baptized a long time, you put your faith in Jesus a long time ago and then you went public with that faith. When Somebody gets baptized, I hope it shakes you to the core to say, I need to remember to bank my life on Jesus. I'm not just adding him in. He's everything. That's a big deal. So, the question of what, what is baptism and what is it all about, it is a public proclamation that you are fully immersed in Jesus. It's not a statement that says you've got your life all together and everything has changed and everything is fixed. It's not a statement that says you are, you are perfect, but it is a, hey, I'm all in with Jesus and as I see things in my life, I'm going to let him change me. As the Spirit of God works on me, He's going to change me. That's what, that's what baptism is. It's this immersion in I'm with Jesus. Matthew chapter 3 gives us a great example of this. It records for us actually Jesus' baptism. Okay? And why, why would Jesus be baptized? Because like he didn't have sin. No, he, he didn't. And again, baptism doesn't wash your sin away. Baptism doesn't, you know, do that. But he was identifying with mankind. He was saying, I, I get it. I'm with you. And Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16 says this. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, now remember this word means to immerse or to submerge, he went up out of the water. That's one of the reasons why we, we know it's, it's not just like pouring or sprinkling. That's one of the reasons why we go all the way down into the water and, and back up. Because of what it symbolizes and what it is. It's saying, I am all in with Jesus. Now, I've also found that people wrestle with the question or the, the, the issue. It goes a little bit like this. Well, I was baptized as a baby or as an infant or as a child. Do I need to be baptized again? And we don't have to raise our hands, but I'll be honest with you. I was, I was sprinkled, I think. I don't remember it as, as a baby. Um, I grew up kind of, we originally went to a Presbyterian church. And that was my, my father's kind of, his family went to the Presbyterian church. And I, I believe I was sprinkled as a baby. 
Um, but then as a younger, or as I grew up and I began to know and understand the reality of the fact that I had sinned against a holy God and that Jesus had gone in my place and provided a way of escape, provided forgiveness, as I began to realize that then later in life, I went public with my faith and was baptized. And I did that because I, I believe that the, the Bible teaches that we should be baptized after we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at, look at what the scripture says. Acts chapter 19 and verse 3 says this. So, so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? You see, Paul is interacting with a group of people who, who said, um, hey, we've we put our, our, our trust in Jesus he says, okay, well, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism, which John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was before Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. It was a, a baptism identifying with and being all in with the idea of, I'm going to turn away from my sins. That's good. But then Paul calls them to be baptized again, and he says this in verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. Then verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, after they realized that, that Jesus is the one who picks up and carries away our sins, then they went public with their faith. So if one of the things that's holding you back is this idea that you were baptized as an infant or a baby or a child or whatever it may be, maybe even before you trusted Jesus Christ, I would tell you if you know today that Jesus is a forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, then it's time. It's time to put your faith in him and go public with it. So, I realize that a number of people would say, well, I don't know what it's all about or who it's for. Well, if you put your faith in Jesus, it's for you. One of the other objections is an objection of hesitation, as I mentioned before. And I've heard people say it like this. They've said, I don't want to completely follow Jesus right now. And, and there could be a number of reasons for that, right? There could be any number of reasons for that. The scripture does tell us, though, if you hear the message of Jesus Christ and you believe it, then you need to begin to follow him. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. It says this, those who accepted his message, those who believed it, they see that it's true. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In other words, they heard it and they said, yep, I'm all in. I'm not going to hesitate anymore. I'm not going to wait. I'm good to go. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I love this. This is, honestly, this is the, the, the day. Acts 2 um, declares for us the day of the birth of the church. It's beautiful. 3,000 people heard that because of their sin, Jesus was crucified. Because of my sin, Jesus was crucified. Listen, I, I realize that every single week we have people who show up here at Bridgewater who are brand new and it would be very easy to see people here or see people on a stage and think that, oh man, they must think they have their lives all together. Can I just tell you something? 
That is not the truth about us, but we have a God who loved us so much and he is restoring us. And I would be foolish to think that in a room like this that there are people who are hurting and wondering how God could actually love them. I'm going to tell you, these are the very people, these people right here in Acts chapter 2 are the very people who just a few short days earlier were shouting to have Jesus crucified. And now they're forgiven through him. That can be you. That can be you. I realize that maybe you might say, well, I don't want to completely follow Jesus because I'm afraid. I, I get it. Say, I don't want to go up on the stage. I don't want to tell my story. I don't want, to, I don't want people to see me. I, I don't want to have to do that. I'm afraid what will happen at work, what people will think about me. I'm afraid what pe- my neighbors will say. My family, they might disown me. I grew up in a different religious background or we were atheistic or whatever it might be. I'm afraid. I get it. But if you see Jesus for who he is, I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid because that's not the spirit he gives us. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this, for the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So if you'll lean into him, he will help you. By the way, believer, if you're here and you've been baptized and you've gone public, I would just tell you if there's something you're afraid about obeying him, this is for you too. It's for me too. So maybe if you're, you're afraid, let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him to help us. I know also sometimes we're afraid to commit because there's things in our lives that we just don't want to change yet. And maybe you would say, well, I have this sin that I just don't want to give up. I get that too. But I'm confident that by the Spirit of God, you could come to realize today that that sin is killing you. One of my, one of my favorite quotes of all time is written by a man who was an early 20th century Puritan preacher. His name was John Owen. He wrote a book. It sounds like dreadful, and it kind of is to read it. It's called The Mortification of Sin. And it's like this thick. You probably don't want to read it. <laughs> that entire book that's this thick, thick could be summed up like this. He says in it, he says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's it. Watch out. Because that sin that you just don't want to give up, I'm telling you, God is so much better. Look at what Paul says to a a group of believers in Rome who were struggling with this idea of, well, but God forgives us, so what's the big deal? I can just keep living however I want. I can just living with whomever I want or or dating however I want or talking however I want or acting. They were wrestling with that too, so he wrote to them in Romans in chapter 6. He wrote this in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue on sinning that grace may increase? Because he had just taught us that, like, if your sin is a mountain this big, God's grace is a mountain this big. So so they started to think, well, if 
Okay, cool, so I can just grow my mountain of sin as big as I want because God's forgiveness is more than enough. Well, yeah, that's true, but if you've received his grace, you can't keep acting the same way. Should we keep going and sinning so that grace may abound? And he says, no, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 3 goes on and he says this, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What's the point? (laughs) Through Jesus we get new life. And the new life is so much better. So I ask you again, What is holding you back from being all in with Jesus? There's one more thing that might be holding you back. It's this idea that I just don't believe. And I get that. If you don't believe, I get that. I'm never going to be the person that twists your arm. But would you hear me out for one short minute? Would you hear me out about why? I believe. I believe because of, frankly, one idea, it's the resurrection. But there's a, there's a verse that God has used very specifically in my life, and I want to show it to you. It comes at the end of this chapter, Romans 6. It says this, for the wages of sin is death. I came to realize that I had sinned against a holy God, and what I deserved because of it is separation from him. I realized that. And I know there's all kinds of questions that you could have. I get it. I get it. But I came to realize that what I deserved was death. And thankfully, the verse doesn't stop there because it says, but the gift of God. In other words, what I have earned, my wages, is separation. But what he has given me, what he has given to you, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That Jesus went in my place. He lived the life that I should have lived and I never will. And then he died the death that I deserve to die. He did it in my place. And because of that, because of my mess and his grace, I now have eternal life. That That's why I believe. It's because I knew I could never fix it on my own. And so I would just urge you to trust him. So what now? Well, there's three things that I think could be a next step for you. Number one, the first could be to trust Christ and then go public. We're about to see someone do that, okay? To say, yes, I need God's grace and to go public with it. Second, once you've done that, we need to live out our commitment daily. We need to live it out at home. We need to live it out at work. We need to live it out in our communities. We need to live it out with those who know us well and those who don't know us well. We need to live it out when you're on the phone with customer service. Yeah, that's a blessing, right? Mm -hmm. That's hard. But we need to live it out. And third, 
We need to help someone else take their next steps. See, remember what Jesus said. He said, we're to make disciples. That's not a pastor's only job. That's not a leader's only job. That's a believer's job to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded us. And oh, by the way, if you're scared, he's going to be with you until the end of the age. See, here's the thing for me. I want to go to heaven and take as many people with me as possible. And I hope you will join me on that so that we have this shared desire that we want to go to heaven and take as many people with us as possible. If that's what we want, then we need to make disciples. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word, for the clarity in it. God, I pray that this morning you'd be honored and that your name would be lifted high just as Jessica goes public with her faith. Her story is incredible. Just the way, God, that you, you brought her through great difficulty. You brought people into her life who loved you and, and pointed her to you. God, I, I'm blown away by that. And I'm blown away by the fact that you would love me. So God, I, I pray that, that Jessica's story would draw others to you. I pray that, um, that you would help me and help us as a, a collection of believers to make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name.